Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Stretch Goose Fucking Podcast. If you like the show, share it, rate it, and review it. Subscribe to it. Helps us out with all that computer stuff. Thank you all for jumping on for a little bit. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the website at stretchgoosepodcast.com uh, and stretchgoosepodcast at gmail.com. There's the email address, contact pages, all that good stuff. Um, we are going to uh, talk about um, uh, a kid in Michigan getting his head smacked into the uh, window of a school bus. We're gonna we're gonna uh, dive into a Wisconsin woman charged with repeated assault on a 13 year old. Um, allegedly threatened the victim for cheating on her. She took it personally. Um, and then uh, we are going to discuss from a website, 1945, America and China is headed for a clash over Taiwan. And then we're going to get into something that uh, I heard over the weekend about taxes from Sam uh, Cedar uh, from the podcast. Uh, talking about basically taxes and wanting to return to a, a certain tax rate. Um, so anyway, let's dive right in. An 11-year-old boy was charged with an alleged attack that took place on a Michigan school bus earlier this month and left a 5-year-old uh, injured. Um, the 5-year-old boy was invited to sit with the kids. Uh, the older kids then proceeded to beat the shit out of him and slam his head into the metal window frame of the bus. He suffers minor injuries which did not require any medical treatment. The child's parents um, said the bus driver did nothing to stop the attack. Uh, they told uh, WZZM that the victim was just trying to fight them off, but they were just too strong. He also, The parents also told Wood, told Wood TV that his son came off the bus crying with bruises on his head. The victim also said some of the other students filmed the attack instead of helping out. Um the the uh, bus driver was placed on administrative leave. Uh, the kid was disciplined, and his sidekicks were disciplined as well. The school district reviewed the case and said no display ac discipli disciplinary action will be taken against the bus driver. Um, due to the ages of the children, the video of the attack has not been released. So, as far as this story goes, I think the bus driver deserves to get a little bit. I don't think he should get, you know, scot-free... He's the driver of the bus. He's in charge of the safety of those children, getting them from their school to their house and from their house to the school, and even on field trips. His job is to make sure that none of them die, none of them are hurt, et cetera, et cetera. And for him not to pull over and address the situation, it, it just shows the overall cowardice of our country in a sense because of, you know, he probably didn't want to get in trouble for doing something you know, wrong and getting it caught on camera, which is something that goes through the minds of everybody nowadays, is they just, every there's a camera everywhere and they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to be viewed as being uh, uh, aggressive or what have you. So I, I get it, but I don't get it with the with the school bus driver. Um, so this is from Law and Order. This is from Law and Order. What a TV show, huh? This is from Law and Crime. Uh, Wisconsin woman was charged is being charged with the sexual assault of a 13-year-old boy allegedly threatening the victim because she feels like she was cheated on. 
This woman is 27 years old. She's arrested, allegedly uh, sexually assaulting a 13-year-old boy multiple times and even threatened him after he, quote-unquote, cheated on her. Caitlin Lee Scar is her name. What a last name alone is nice. Scar. Kind of like that. That, uh, like a villain from Disney's Lion King. It was taken into custody last week, charged with one count each of repeated assault on the same child, at least three violations of first or second degree sexual misconduct and child enticement, uh, sexual con- and sexual contact. I don't understand how they, these charges of any crime goes. They just find, you know, 10, 15 charges to throw on you. According to, the, to an affidavit of probable cause obtained by the Green Bay Fox affiliate, the investigation into Scar be, began when the victim's mother filed a report with the Green Bay Police Department claiming that her boy... Her 13-year-old son was having a sexual relationship with a 27-year-old woman. Police reportedly said that the mother came to the precinct March 24th upset after having learned that the woman later identified as Scar was allegedly having uh, sex with with him and threatening the safety of of him. A review of the messages on the victim's phone reportedly corroborates the claim of Scar's assault. Uh, Scar and the victim reportedly met when the boy was at his aunt's house, which is located next to Scar's residence. Um, the victim allegedly told police that during the first encounter with Scar, the older woman offered to give the boy cookies and then asked him if he wanted to take a puff from her vape device. Uh, then they exchanged phone numbers after that. So that's, so that is the first date, cookies and a vape device. Yeah, that's pretty shitty. Uh, the initial encounter, the victim told police he explicitly mentioned that he was only 13. Um, of course, does, she didn't care, obviously. Um, they began texting and messaging each other through various social media apps with Scar allegedly speaking to the victim about cuddles, holding hands, watching movies. Uh, the conversation then became increasingly lewd and disgusting. Um, Scar reportedly telling the victim that he was making her... Horny. Police say that Scar also recorded sexual videos that she sent to him. After engaging, after exchanging the videos, the child took the bus to Scar's apartment. After finishing school, um, she then met with him at the bus stop and brought him back to her home where she assaulted him. Uh, the victim reportedly told police that he and Scar had sex at least three times within that span. Of four days. The victim claimed that Scar eventually began threatening and harassing him. At one point, she allegedly told him that she was going to have someone beat him up because he failed to respond to her. Talk about grooming on another level. This is insane. Um, in an interview with police, Scar allegedly admitted to having contact with the victim sexually. Investigators say that Scar told them she believed the victim was 16 despite the age consent is 18 in Wisconsin. If convicted on both counts, she faces a maximum of of 65 years in prison. I hope she gets all 65 years um, for being absolutely ridiculous. The kid was 13. I don't know how you can say he was 16. Um, But what are you going to do? It's the way fucking people are these days. Uh, so let's, let's go on to, uh, this, this piece here. So we've, we've had, uh, 
threats coming from China to Taiwan about potential meeting with uh, with the Taiwanese president going going to meet uh, with officials in America, Kevin McCarthy and stuff in Los Angeles, I believe. And they said they're going to do countermeasures and all this stuff. So then you, there's been uh, a lot of articles about the what ifs and what have you with. Uh, whether or not China and America are going to have a have a do duke it out over Taiwan, um, but of course you know these articles are everywhere. So this one is from a site called 1945. Uh, it says officials in Beijing are reportedly closely monitoring uh, the pres- Taiwan president president Tsai Tsai Ling Wen's visit to the United States. This week after she arrived in New York on Wednesday, China has warned it would retaliate if Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker McCarthy, meets with her during her planned stop in California. She is currently set to meet with the Speaker McCarthy and other Republican lawmakers at the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley on her return trip from visits to Guatemala and Belize. Um, McCarthy is the highest GOP office holder in the country and is second in line to become vice president behind Harris. China firmly opposes any form of official interaction between the U.S. and Taiwan, said the uh, Chinese foreign ministry. Uh, they also quoted as saying, China will continue to closely follow the situation and resolutely safeguard our sovereignty and territorial integrity. Of course, Beijing maintains that Taiwan, a self-governing democracy of 23 million people, is a breakaway province that will be brought under mainland control by force if necessary. The U.S. dynamic with Taiwan remains one of the most divisive issues in the relationship between America and China. Um, the pres- uh, Taiwan President Tsai has said, by making this trip, I want to thank our Democratic partners for supporting us, um, and we will continue to act as a force for good in the international community to continue to to virtuous the virtuous cycle and to strengthen democratic resilience worldwide. Um, of course, U.S. lawmakers have noted that China's general secretary, has uh, Jinping, has essentially called upon the People's Liberation Army, um, which is, the of course, the Chinese Communist Party's military arm, uh, to be prepared to invade by 2027, such a move would inflict devastating consequences on America's allies, its service members in the region, as well as the nation. However, though, members of Congress have also warned that the U.S. has yet to formulate a clear strategy to protect America's economy and significantly strengthen our partners in the region. We are already running out of bullets, as I've said you know, in previous episodes. Um I don't know how we're going to fight China. We got no weapons. We left a bunch of them in Afghanistan. We're running out of bullets. The rate of bullet loss to bullet gain is out of whack. There's no way we're going to be able to put up an, a marginal defense, uh, especially by 2027, which I think is why uh, uh, Jinping is picking that date because he's, he's probably waiting for us to run out of bullets, as I've said earlier. Uh, we run out of ammunition. We run out of parts. They're they're going to have an easier time on Taiwan because we won't be able to fire anything at them. And I think that's exactly what it is. Of course. Um, uh, uh, of course, you know we're introducing bills because that's what we do in America. The Taiwan Protection and National Resilience Act. It's a bipartisan bill. 
um, requires the Defense Department, uh, the department, uh, the Defense Department, Defense Department, uh, Department of Commerce, Department of State, and other federal agencies to report to Congress on the United States' non-kinetic options to both prepare for and respond to the attack on Taiwan, including opportunities to sanction if necessary. The threat is re- the threat of a reckless blockade or invasion is real and one that both the U.S. and our international allies must prepare for. At a time when our nation's re- reliance on China's genocidal regime leaves us hostage to, the, to their Beijing leverage, we must develop a strategy to respond to the hostile act should it happen. Of course, this is something that's been echoed from a lot of lawmakers in America, and Joe Biden is just acting like none of this is happening as per usual, you know, and I think, I think he's, I think he's just going to pretend to be oblivious. And I feel like this, this is going to come to a head at some point and we're just not going to be able to do anything. And we're going to lose all the semiconductors. We're going to lose all access to trade in the region. China's just going to block it up, block all of it and, and cause nothing but pain and suffering to us in the long term uh we we won't even because we outsource so fucking much we don't have any options and it'll take decades to build that infrastructure that we used to have way back when when we were um starting out our country with innovation and things but we've offshored a lot of that now a lot of the the built making of building materials or you know, essential household goods or car parts, or we've really, we've really become an outsourcing company, and and we're we're having issues. You know, from the pandemic has proved anything. If it's proved anything, that we've had issues with supplies and the inflation, and then we go and exacerbate the inflation inflation by putting more and more money into the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's that's basically you know that's basically the news you know just to kick off our Monday, and by the way I hope you guys have all had a you know fantastic weekend. I hope everything uh, worked out you know especially on the West Coast with all the weather. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about Sam Cedar for a second. And I'm not I'm not gonna really play what he said. I'm just gonna I'm not gonna play any clips of what he said because what he said is true. Yes, the marginal tax rates were over ninety percent at one point. They were in they were right around seventy percent in the seventies, um, and they have dipped since. And there's an inequality of it, you know, an outcome. And, and he's not wrong. This has all led to what, where we are today. Um, and if the government was able to t- take in more revenue than they are, we would have you know cleaner streets. Uh, crime would probably be addressed a little better than it is in some of our states. State funding would be a little bit better. Some of the program, social programs or welfare programs, if you call it, obviously would be better if if the government had a little bit more cash to handle some of these measures instead of trying to spread everything out over 10 years or so. They would probably take care of it like right away or within the next three years or something of that nature. That's all true. Um, that, that possibility is true. It's there. Um, but he doesn't really tell you why they were that much. And I'm just going to throw this out there. The reason that 
these tax rates were this high in those in those time periods um is is primarily due to wartime so when you when you look at all this stuff it's it's kind of interesting that that th- this is taxfoundation.org um so the 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 rate in 1917 was 67 1916 it was 15% 1915 it was 7% that was the effective tax rate top end so what happened in 1916 that would make it jump to 15% or why would it jump in 1917 to 67% this is when the jump started why would that happen does anybody know why would it be 77% top effective rate in 1918 why would it be that high because it's war world war one was 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 going on at that point you have to pay for the war you need extra revenue so you're going to go ahead and you're going to raise the tax rate so that the citizens can help pay for it and that that is the reason the main reason and then it got as high and then, of course, with adjusted inflation, things like that, um, if you look at what happened, it was 73% in 1919, and then 73% for quite a while. It was that way for quite a while. Um, and and a lot of that was also rebuilding the areas that were destroyed. A lot of the funding came from, from the citizens. And then there was a drop to... Um, from 73% in 1921 down to 58% in 1922. What was going on in the 20s? The Depression. The economy dropped. So we're lowering the effective tax rates. We're trying to lessen the burden on our citizens, right? So it stayed right around that 60% mark. And then when the Depression got serious, it went to 40%, um, then all the way down to 25% at the height of the Depression. And and when you continue to look at this, it didn't exactly pick up at all. It stayed right around 20% for the, the entire uh, Depression all the way into the 1930s. It stayed at that number. And then what happened in 1932? It jumped all the way to 60%, 63% in 1932. So why would that, why would it jump to the 60% in the the 30s? Because the, the economy picked back up, the depression was leveling off, and unemployed people went back to work. Or had to go back to work, and during that period of the, in, in the the boom of the '30s, not only were you were were they going back to work, but they were also um, the taxes were also going up because the revenue would need to circulate back into the into the economy. So how do you do that? You got to raise taxes. So these are all these tax increases are during major events in the history. Um, but then obviously. 
It stayed right around that point because you're rebuilding. But then what happened in 1936 when it jumped to 80%? Wartime. World War II was kicking off. So you have to be able to pay for the ammunition. You have to be able to pay for the stockpiles. You have to be able to pay to build the boats. The, 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 the guns have to be made. And we didn't actually, we didn't get serious in World War II until later in, late in the 30s, early 40s. But we were drawing revenue primarily for World War II, prepping for, for the war. And we were also giving um, weapons. And, and it stayed at 80% until we got into 1941. It was 81%. What happened in 41? The United States entered the war physically. So, again, we have to pay for what we're doing. So we raised the taxes again. And it got as high as 88% in 42 and 43. And then it got to 94% in 1944, which is the height of World War II. That's when we were really building arms for everybody at that point. And we needed revenue to take care of that. Now, I'm not saying that that was the only reason, but these rates seem to coincide with these events. And then, of course, it stayed at the 94 to 90 to 94% all the way until the end of the war, which was interesting, but it hovered at 90% when we got into other wars that were longer wars. Korea um, was a war that we got into shortly after World War II, and then you go from Korea to Vietnam, and these were all long, drawn-out wars. Um, but when we got to Vietnam, that's when you saw a dip into the, you know, below 90%, and it ended up in about the 74, 75% range. And and this is also when um, Jimmy Carter, if I'm not mistaken... It was 77% in 1964. Um, and then, of course, obviously Reagan came in and, and played around with it a little bit. But it was... Uh, an interest, It's an interesting thing to look at. Is Do I agree with his premise that you know the more revenue, the better uh, for the government in terms of what they provide to their citizens? Yes. But they weren't exactly providing anything during the, anything different than what they are today at 38% or 40% whatever the number is now for the top one you know the top tax bracket but when the tax brackets were that high they were co- they coincided with world war 1 they coincided with world war 2 they coincided with vietnam they coincided with the war with korean war these long heavy fights where we had to fund the war. We had to build the products. We had to ship the products. We had to do things to be in the war. And you can't do it when you when you don't have the money coming in. So to go from, you know, 30% to 60% for World War One, and then to go from uh, the 60, you know, then you go into the depression and it drops to the, you know, the 40s percentile, 30 percentile, you know, into that range. And then you go and you, you all of a sudden World War II happens, and then you're going from 
from 25 30% and then you're jumping all the way up into the 70s, 80s and 90s in tax rates. Obviously there's you're in my opinion anyway, you're doing that because you need the money to pay for what you're doing. Um and today today and because of this because of what Reagan did trying to bring the economy back by giving corporations more money to expand their companies, hire more employees, and do all these types of things, it 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 it, it had a reverse effect because companies saved the money. They hoarded the money, as Sam Cedar says. So it didn't it it didn't exactly work. And there's a lot of negative numbers during that during the the first half of of Reagan's presidency, and that's why you see more tax reforms down the at the last half of his presidency because he was trying to fix a big boo boo. But the problem now is we're so far down the rabbit hole on taxation, we can't go back to 90, 60, 70 percent because you would have an uprising, you would have political fallout. It would be impossible to pull that rabbit out of the hat and and convince people. What could help get us there, obviously, is another war. Because then we can say, you know, politicians can come up and say, hey, we have to be able to pay for this. We don't have endless amounts of cash. We are obviously $30 trillion in debt or whatever the number is now. We need to be able to to fund this problem. So these taxes are going to have to increase for God and country and all this stuff. And you pitch it that way. And then you can get it back up to at least 60%, 70%. And you might be able to leave it that way. But I doubt it. Because then the citizens will be like, the war is over. What the fuck? Why are you taking my money? But that is, but, but my overall point to this is, is what Sam Cedar said has some truth to it. But there's also a lot more behind that, behind what happened, that he did not address. And I'm not saying he didn't address it because he didn't know about it because I'm sure he I'm sure he knew about it it's for the same reason that I'm sure a lot of other politicians and pundits know about it but it doesn't fit what what they're selling so they don't address it I don't have that I don't I don't have that I don't care I'd rather you have all the information than half the information so that's why I'm saying what I'm saying the reason the overall point of this, kids, is the reason our taxes were that high on those three three or four instances in our country's history was because we were funding massive war. Now, that, kids, is pretty much the podcast. Uh, thank you all for, for jumping on and being a part of this. Um. And I hope that you guys have taken something from it, learned a few things. And uh, I, I will see you guys on the next one. Later. Later.